So Wiz Khalifa, mm -hmm. that was shot in two completely separate locations. Radio show, man. They everywhere. All right, y'all. We're in for another episode of Big Dad Radio Show. I am your host, Andreas, and I have online with me today, Mr. Asher Lob, who is a, uh, a, a classical violin trained person. Has done a lot of uh, terrific things. Um, I was just sitting there looking at uh, some of your negotiation with contracts and stuff with Mountain Dew and Viacom and City Group PBS. Uh, that's a lot of a uh, a lot of work. I've been playing since the tender age of two. So Asher, let's uh, let's get into that real quick. Um, did you just happen to pick up the violin, or did someone put it in your hand? Uh, I don't really remember. Um, I wish I had a videotape. Uh, I just remember my mind's eye, the experience. Uh -huh. um, you know, I, I remember much of my childhood, or at least I, I, I've convinced myself uh, that mm -hmm. I remember the details uh, pretty accurately. But that part I don't, re I do remember practicing. And I remember the day dudes and the Suzuki method and the scales mm -hmm. and looking up to my brother and my two brothers. They were both, uh, you know, classical violinist the oldest one and then oboist um mm -hmm. so yeah i um fond memories um but mm -hmm. you know not not something yeah. i uh could imagine would have loved i was going through and uh listening to a lot of different interviews you have done and uh also watching a youtube channel which uh your videos are fantastic by the way i love those oh, that's really um, nice yeah, especially like uh, there was one. Well, I like the one where he was going through all the different rooms and it, it changed uh, room. And then also the one where you was playing the violin and it changed scenery, locations, but you were still playing the uh, same the song. I think it was like a, a, a Wiz Khalifa one or Doja Cat or something like that. It was one of those. Oh, um, where? So sorry. I was... Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. So that actually, do so Wiz Khalifa, mm -hmm. that was shot in two completely separate locations in, mm -hmm. in Maui <laughs> mm -hmm. and months later in uh, on a beach um, in, in New York. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I love how it was put together like that. But um, I, I was listening to uh, your story and like I'll go ahead and you know anything that you want to add to it that's cool um but for like you know and I know this is paraphrasing and putting it in like a nutshell but uh you had a come down with some type of illness where it took away your ability to play and uh, I believe you was in a wheelchair during that uh time and you can also say what that illness is um just for clarification yeah Adrenal insufficiency. I was diagnosed with adrenal insufficiency. Um, it's where the, you know, I wasn't producing enough cortisol and um, something I wouldn't wish upon anybody. Yeah, it, it sounds horrendous. Um, during that time, um, because looking at your 15 plus career of being a full time musician, performer, and producer, right? Um, and all these fantastic things that you have done. But during that time of being like, you know, sat down because of the 
illness. How did that, uh, how did you deal with that and that yearning that I imagine you would have? Because to me, I think you're, you're a creator. So you always want to create and share your craft with the world. So how did you like get over that mental hump of you didn't know whether or not you was going to be able to make a recovery? I mean, yeah. no, I, I didn't. Um, but I, I was, I was confident that I guess I can't say I was confident in anything because I just didn't know. Uh, but nobody, I could tell you everybody around me thought it was the end. Um, mm -hmm. and that I was just, this is going to be my life. And I just refused to accept the diagnoses and the, um, just the conventional wisdom at the time and even today, um, and recommendations. Uh, and mm -hmm. if I had, I would have just sort of accepted things as they are. And then I just would have just, um, continued to just be a vegetable, I guess. Um, you know, having, having gotten a, a, a BSN, a nursing degree from NYU, um, mm -hmm. Uh, one of the, the my biggest pet peeves, um, and I'm not speaking as a musician. I'm speaking as somebody with a degree. With a degree, is um, is seeing a, a, a patient in a, in a position where they they may or may or may not have the potential to reemerge or to fix the problem or at least to address the problem, but because they're mm -hmm. given like this sentence of like permanence. Um, and there's no way of getting out of this. And this is, there's just no way to correct it. Uh, maybe you can use some crutches. I get really, really angry. And, um, because this is sort of the conventional way of thinking in this country. And I don't want to divert the conversation much to medicine, but mm -hmm. I'm just sort of speaking for my soul here and for my experience. Um, but having shared that, I just want to say that I, I had a very different mindset. I had the mindset of, okay, I'm being told this is, I can't fix it, but I need mm -hmm. to fix it because I have a family depending on me and mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I'm just going to try all sorts of things and I'm just going to try to get better. And I did, um, you can't get out of adrenal insufficiency with a mindset. Um, yoga helps if once you're strong enough, but it, mm -hmm. it really just boils down to a hormone deficiency. Um, takes a whole lot more than that but a mm -hmm. mindset of i'm going to get better is definitely prerequisite to learning what you need to, to learn or testing testing the waters trying to figure out what it is that's missing uh to mm -hmm. address the underlying illness so i don't know if that was that made sense to you no, no it definitely does it starts with the mind and you know uh i think one of the things that you said you know there's a will there's a way and i really resonate with that because um, I, I felt that with all the different things I've gone through with life and different trials and errors and being, you know, how life, you know, will push you down and it just makes you more resilient and want to do more. So uh, with that being said, you know, I understand like, you know, the music industry because I've been helping independent artists like get paid and things like that for since 2005 now. So that's like one of my things that led to actually doing a podcast and radio show and all that. Um, how was that transition for you? Um, as far as like, you know, your violinist, your instrumentalist, your producer, just jumping out into that field and people, you know, realizing you have this particular talent, but then also you being compensated at the value of what you know you are. Um, 
Well, I just want to start by saying that, uh, you know, if you if you value yourself at a certain level, that that sort of resonates with with the and it influences the your negotiating skill, your negotiating skills. If you devalue yourself, you don't say I, I can't tell you how many artists I've worked with that I've booked mm -hmm. through, you know, we work with uh, Fiddler's Dream Productions Entertainment Booking Agency. And I, I've interfaced with a number of other artists uh, who who they value themselves much lower than they're worth. And I, I pay mm -hmm. them more. I offer them more uh, because I'm, I, I, I don't believe in underpaying. I, I don't even, I don't believe in, in hiring somebody for less than a certain threshold. Um, yeah. So I believe in overpaying and, and, as, and by extension, I believe in valuing myself at a certain level um, mm -hmm. because I put in the work, I put in the effort um, mm -hmm. and it's like any other job. So uh, I'm not exactly addressing your question. So my apologies. Well, no, no, you, no, you, you are touching on it. So like, tell us what were some of the growing pains and struggles that came along with, you know, running the business as an independent musician. Oh, there have been endless struggles and, and growing pains and they, they continue today because, <laughs> but I can't say that they're just specific to independent musicians. Uh, we just don't mm -hmm. hear about the growing pains and struggles that major label artists deal with. They probably deal mm -hmm. with more than we do. Um, mm -hmm. But I could tell you just as a start, wearing multiple hats, uh, mm -hmm. managing your fan base, the finances, uh, crunching data, figuring out what's what, what works, what doesn't work, who's ripping you off and who isn't. Um, uh -huh. There are so many people ripping ripping you off. <laughs> you know, they yeah. want to cut deals with you. It, it looks like um, it's a good deal. It looks like you're being booked um, in a way that like they're they're putting forth the effort, but they're just riding off your 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 shoulders. Um, mm -hmm. It's. It's been it's been a struggle uh, finding my my own voice and my and my own kind of taking my own path to to success uh, to success, uh, mm -hmm. but I, I would say it's been well worth the the journey. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely understand that. Um, so, what are like some of your most uh, successful singles or most singles that are notable to you? Because you know everybody's definition of success is a little different. Yeah, well. The successful singles, I guess, are the ones that the fans uh, are screaming on repeat. So like Neon Dreams and, um, you know, Miserloo. Well, Miserloo mm -hmm. is something I'm really proud of in, in terms of the collaboration um, with Jenny Luke and Johannes Kruciaka out in, in L.A. Uh, amazing talents, international touring uh, artists, um, mm -hmm. well-respected in the field. And song I you know, produced. And then they they contribute to and uh, it's it's like an equal part ownership. Miserable is something I'm most proud of uh, for mm -hmm. that reason. Uh, Neon Dreams was like the thing that launched my career and um, very different from Miserable. Miserable is like a rock EDM song and Neon mm -hmm. Dreams is like a hyped up high energy. Sorry. Yeah. It, uh, mm -hmm. ED, um, Electra House, Progressive House, uh, classical slash classical piece. So mm -hmm. kind of genre bending song. So your uh, I like the fact that you dance with your uh, violin and um, they're also like all the different. I imagine you have a lot of different violins. I have a number, yeah. Um, <laughs> the ones that look funkier and cooler tend to sound worse. <laughs> For real? Uh, yeah, people don't notice this stuff. It's stuff that I notice because I'm 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 a producer and I'm like 
Yeah. This is where uh-huh. I spend all my time working in the studio and pumping out singles and, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, so I really, I'm a little neurotic when it comes to the tone. If something's a little off, it doesn't bother most people, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, having acoustic classical um, and electric, I used to have a Zeta, got rid of that because it was just so heavy. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. like this. You can see mm-hmm. some old videos of me uh, running around with that. Actually, that's what I played at Madison Square Garden. Um, yeah, I'm I'm happy with, with the instrument that I have today. Uh, it's honestly, I found that it's the pedals that matter the most. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick up my pedal off the. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I get it. I'm gonna trip over some <laughs> cables. There's so many cables around here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, I can imagine. So, um, um, you like to perform, right? Um, and you yeah. do. You're doing something different that uh, most people wouldn't, you know, think the violinist. And then, you know, also people like to put them in a box of like classical and stuff. But you like more upbeat tempo type of music genres and things of that nature. Uh, when you're performing and you're, uh, you know, you got a crowd in front of you, are you feeding off of the interactions with the crowd or are you just in your own world of like, I'm going to give this performance regardless of what, how they, you know, view me? That's a really good question. Um, because it's the, the answer to your question is obviously wildly different depending on the performer. And for me, it mm-hmm. really depends on the venue, the location, the type of event. But for the most part, I do feed off the crowd in a pretty deep way. And I kind of wish I didn't. I kind of wish I just didn't care, but mm-hmm. I, I cared. I Unfortunately, I do care. And mm-hmm. when I see people are really into the music, I really get into it. When people, I see people are networking and they don't care. They're just, mm-hmm. um, I then I don't care. Honestly, yeah. I just, you know, I really respond. And, mm-hmm. I, and I wouldn't recommend that type of mentality. I think you should just put, put your love into and mm-hmm. your effort as much as possible into whatever you're doing, regardless of the of the situation. But mm-hmm. I think it's kind of natural for a performer to react to their audience. Yeah, and I think you know the like you said, going to both ways depending on the environment. I'm like you're a creator at the end of the day, so you know you want what you for myself. Exactly, <laughs> but then you also want that well received the people to understand you know the work that went into it. Um, yeah. So, Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Like so, a typical song that you compose and you create. Like I know there, you know, it fluctuates. But what would be like a, a estimated time that you know you think it would take for you to create it and record it to the point where you're satisfied with it? A piece. Um, it it, it varies widely. Um, some songs I spent. Uh, half a year on, uh, mm-hmm. like a, was it a, a brighter day ahead? I'm trying to remember which song. And then other songs I've been pumping out pretty quickly, like these these uh, classical pieces. Believe it or not, um, mm-hmm. repentance, um, tribute to Israel. It's actually something I just released um, recently, and uh, that was a whole symphony. Uh, mm-hmm. And I did that because I did. Um, I just did a number of like fundraising events, and sadly, because of what we're hearing on the news, it's actually more relevant than mm-hmm. ever. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Neon Dreams was relatively quick quick because I kind of wrote itself and it, I was inspired by my really my own story of mm-hmm. emerging from a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. I never thought it would ever happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it it varies widely. Free Fall was Free Fall was a hip hop song. I wrote mm-hmm. um I, I I sorry, I didn't I didn't write that one. Um Free Fall, I'm actually gonna hold this up. I'm just talking about this. If you guys check out my Spotify, it's a 
it, it is a it was a collaboration with insane beats so they he produced the hip-hop piece and i lay down the the violin to that so mm -hmm. you know that was quick as hell <laughs> yeah yeah you know yeah, a lot of those hip hop songs, you know, tend to be because uh, they're not as uh, complex as you know other styles of music. Um, but it, when it comes to you know, I'd imagine, are you your own manager when you come to representation and your negotiation and stuff? Uh, for the most part, these days, I have been solicited quite a few times. Um, I haven't. I guess I I get I, I got cold feet each time. Um. Mm -hmm. In retrospect, I, I kind of think that I probably should have taken the deals. Uh, I think they might have led me down a different, slightly different path. Mm -hmm. So I do think, but I, I, at the time, I just didn't know. So um, that that may change. Uh, you know, I could see, I could see other management coming my way um, in the near, in the near future, and I, I might, uh, you know, consider a different path and work with them. So how was I, it like independent booking agents? Mm -hmm. So independent booking agents. Okay. So to, yeah, just to elaborate on what you're asking. So I have booking agents that, you know, per, per DM, like per case, per gig, mm -hmm. they'll work with me. And I, I work with some booking agents very frequently during the year. So in mm -hmm. terms of that, I wouldn't call them my manager because they're not exclusive. Yeah. Nobody has to go through them. They have to go through me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still feeling it out, but this has been going on for 20 years now. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, I definitely get that. Um, especially when you know people think about the horror stories and stuff like that. Um, so when it comes That's to like you know, uh, conglomerates like Google and big old you know companies, Viacom, Nickelodeon, stuff like that. Um, how uh, how is their approach, or are there any tips and advice that you can give you know aspiring uh, independent musicians or musicians at all, or even artists and creators when they go into those situations? Are there things they need to look for? Is there a certain way they you know need to present themselves? Do they need to be like stern in what they want? Or yeah, so first of all, it helps to be really good at what you do, be really confident in what you do, and really organized. Um, in terms of just your contacts, uh, every contact is really very important. So if you if you go to a networking event or a or a private event, a corporate whatever it is, I. Uh, you know, you want to remember and have those contacts, those cards, you know, save them somewhere digitally, maybe on Dropbox. Um, that's something I've, I've gone back to old relationships frequently. And I've had people reach out to me from like a couple of years ago that mm -hmm. maybe follow me for a while. So, so every, every relationship is valuable and you don't want to, uh, you, you want to be careful about um, uh, taking them all very seriously. So that's, mm -hmm. um, that's something I would emphasize and really I, I've also had people reach, reach out to me out of the blue. Cause they, they just, they saw something that I was doing that was cool. Uh, maybe a music video that I released uh, something really unique that I did in terms of a performance or like that commercial that you mentioned, that was uh, Lucida surfaces, a uh, home Depot company uh, mm -hmm. that I, they brought me, brought me out to like Sony, Sony studios in Brooklyn that's like did this like seventy thousand dollar production. So some people, some people like see something like that and they want to do something similar for their company. Or uh, mm -hmm. one one opportunity leads to another. Uh, one of my regrets, I, I have to say, is that I I've been a little stiff in terms of opportunities that did not pay or pay so well. Um, mm -hmm. I did it occasionally, like back when I was in college and working my way through college. I th you know if you look at, at some advice from not Wiz Khalifa, the uh, DJ Khaled. 
he mm-hmm. talks about how he used to volunteer um all the time like he just he did he did things for other artists uh mm-hmm. frequently and he attributes a lot of his success to that which is interesting because i wouldn't have thought that intuitively uh so so i just want to kind of mention that 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 might give people op- you know aspiring artists opportunities that may they may otherwise mm-hmm. never consider if they're not being mm-hmm. If they're not reaching audiences um, regularly on social media, for instance, or through yeah. news, whatever. So you have a family, and you're on the road and stuff like that, and you're a music performer and producer. How do you balance all that? And then, what is life on the road for you? What is what is that like? Um, it's it's hard. It's very hard. It's it's probably harder for my family than it is for me because they're always calling me, email you like doing video chats and tell me how much they want me to be home. And it's that, that probably makes it hardest for me because I feel guilty about Mm -hmm. sort of doing my job. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's good for anybody. Uh, And, and that's, uh, you know, if you go to Hollywood, you look at all these celebrities and they're just divorce rates um, higher, I guess, than the typical, probably for that reason, because people are always on the road. So I've had to compromise my career aspirations, uh, my career opportunities on quite a few, few cases. I mean, just an example, Kygo, Kygo's manager called me to do uh, a, like festival. I turned it mm-hmm. down for family. Um, you know, what, you know, one crazy, cool opportunity versus my family. I choose my family without a, without a question, but it's just one, one of many examples where it's like, okay, you have to weigh, mm-hmm. what are your values? What do you really want? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I choose my family over, over being more successful. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's, it's, you know, hoping, I'm hoping to be able to achieve all my dreams. Um, and for mm-hmm. aspiring artists, it's important to, um, again, know yourself and what, what's going to make you happy. You don't want to make, make a mistake. You know, you could, you could do an audition for the voice or something or for America's got talent. Um, and uh, they could give you an opportunity and then you could if you have a family or if you have an important relationship or another commitment uh you you can give that up and then flop on on um mm-hmm. the, the talent show uh whatever it is so you know i i just i think a lot of people are married to their work um mm-hmm. and it it it's good uh, to work and to be successful, but I, I think that, and it's good to have a good work ethic. And for me, I'm actually a workaholic, mm-hmm. but it's also important to know your values, uh, cause, and to have long-term vision, see where you want to be when you're 60, 70, 80. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to producing, do you just produce like, you know, your stuff, uh, instrumental tracks, or you actually producing, um, artists, like where's where your realm of producing? I'm doing I'm doing both. I'm producing music for sync licensing. Uh, okay. Film. I'm producing music for myself uh, to engage my fans. I am producing music for other artists to build relationships and to inspire myself. And actually, I've been sitting on a couple of cool collabs, um, for no good reason. <laughs> I guess because I've been <laughs> I've just been dealing with being really tired in the morning these days uh-huh. <laughs> nights um so yeah thanks for the reminder by the way <laughs> i know what to do after <laughs> yeah. this interview <laughs> hey you know yeah you know i, I talk to artists all the time it's, it's amazing um you know i was talking to a, a few artists uh, was it last week and you know they have all these unreleased 
songs. And I'm like, so what are you going to do with this? I'm like, I know you live in the studio, you stay in the studio, but at some point, the whole point is to share it with the world and, you know, see what happens. Um, so when you do releases, like, do you follow the same format or do you like like to switch it up and try new things? I switch it up more than I maintain the same format. Excuse okay. me. The mainstay used to be uh, Progressive House. I was in love with that. And I realized that my fan base didn't really give a shit. Mm -hmm. Part of my language. Uh, they literally did not care. Um, in terms of my lives, like I, I gauge that from my lives and from the the mailing list, uh, you know, the DMs. I found that mm -hmm. way, way more people in the DMs, mailing list, the the lives were like on Facebook, for instance, were looking for more low key, relaxing music, especially around the COVID time period of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just it, it, it's a it's a constant tension because. My my intuition is to do like the high energy stuff and and you know that works mm -hmm. for corporate events and concerts. Um, you you do have to listen to an extent to your fan base. And yeah, yeah. I'm hoping I'll be able to expand my fan base <laughs> to those who also enjoy what I'm doing, what what I prefer to do a little more. But at the mm -hmm. moment, that's why I'm pumping out like concertos and symphonies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um. So, what's been like the most memorable performances that you've had thus far? I can't say it's been one. Um, it's I've done quite a few that have been memorable. Uh, you know, PBS, um, a number of a couple of times, uh, Carnegie Hall. I mean, just playing iconic venues has just been definitely mem been memorable. Uh, playing and performing in Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I, I performed in the Middle East as well. I mean, it's just I. Every performance is unique. Uh, I would say Master Theater was was a hell of a time in terms of the energy. That would be an example where there's 3,000 people that are like screaming, like that are enjoying a song like Neon Dreams, which has no words. Mm -hmm. There's no lyrics. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an instrumental piece, but people are just clapping mm -hmm. and enjoying the song. And and um, and what's 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 exciting mostly about that for me is that mm -hmm. you don't you don't see too many artists playing an instrument. Uh, with with a fan base that's really enjoying it to that level, um, so I felt like that was that was iconic for me. That was a milestone mm -hmm. for me as as an artist. So, have you uh, had the opportunity where new creators have like you know used your music to make um, content with it? Like, has anyone used your stuff like for video skits or anything funny or whatever the content creation? Yeah, I've I've had uh, a few million streams worth of that, or worth of artists using my music um, to just do you know do stuff on socials. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm deeply flattered. I'm grateful for that. Um, some pretty big art, big artists and creators have 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 used it as well. Um, yeah, I guess that's all I can say. Um, it's it's one of the biggest compliments in the world to have your music used in a commercial or by a creator. It's it's just it mm -hmm. it, it means a lot. So it shows that they care. They they like the music enough to do something with it. Yeah, I, I definitely love that. Um, and I can I love that feeling that you say that you know someone else uses your stuff and they create something with it. Um, have you gotten to the point to where people have came to you and be like, Hey, I listen to you or I follow your path and you inspired me to pick up an instrument or to pursue my dreams as well. 
Yeah, I've had a number of artists, um, not artists, but aspiring artists, a number of people who've reached out and um, have have said such things. Um, I, I I need to, I've been given opportunities to mentor and to teach, and that's something I have not really focused on or spent much mm -hmm. time. It's something I'd like to do, uh, but I don't want it to replace uh, my many other hats that I'm in, uh, wearing such as production, um, mm -hmm. live performance, um, connecting with fans. So, but, but I might set up like a mentorship program uh, soon to hopefully inspire more people to, to play the violin and to, to play their instruments. Um, I think it's important. What, important um, yeah. mm -hmm. At this point in time in your career with the successes that you had, like what keeps you motivated now? What inspires you? Nothing. I think I'm just going to give up. I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Let's just cancel it. Cancel the tour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what motivates me? I, I mean, I am, uh, I'm motivated by, by continuing to connect with fans. Uh, I'm pretty self-motivated to keep producing music and I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and I want to do more of it. And I want to keep connecting with art other artists and collaborating with them. I, I don't need motivation for that. Um, mm -hmm. you know, again, the song like Miserloo or that song I did with Porter Singer, uh, recently gratitude is, these are, these are songs that are, are deeply meaningful to me and it's deeply meaningful to connect with other artists. And it just gives me a sense of satisfaction and of, like there's like I'm doing something for other people and that I'm helping to improve the status mm. of the world uh, in my my little niche, my little corner. And mm. uh, I mean, I, I, I don't need much motivation to produce music for film. I just want to. Yeah, there's music that I want to hear. I want to hear on film and I don't hear it. Uh, so, yeah, motivation alone. <laughs> I definitely get that. Um, how involved are you in the production process of the videos that you put out? Like, do you come up with um, the treatments and, you know, the rollout for it and all that? So in, in a case like in a big production like Lucida Services, for instance, uh, where that was featuring my single, um, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I was there was a whole team uh, that was kind of running the show, but they involved me as part of like a collaboration. So mm -hmm. I found that to be. So that, that that was one of those rare instances where I was where I was less involved or I was more like kind of the performer, but, mm -hmm. but, uh, but it, probably more than I'd like, I'm, I'm, I'm involved a little bit more than I, I, I think is healthy. <laughs> you know, like you don't <laughs> want to be the cameraman, but it kind of micromanage a lot of things. And I'll, I'll tell you why, because I, you know, I've, I have worked with a number of videographers and producers that kind of, they overlooked something really important. Mm -hmm. So as a result, it's like if you're spending money and you're and you're doing this for the fans and you and it's something you got to live with for many years, I'd rather mm -hmm. be a little bit of an ass, um, yeah, like a respectful ass, but yeah. but less like that than than just kind of lets things fly and then have some glitch on the screen that's never going to go away. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Now I definitely get that, you know, because you uh, again, it's something you created, and then like you said, you know how it's going to resonate, and you have a certain vision for it, and sometimes videographers and producers they'll just go through the motions of stuff and not really like be as excited about the project like you are so i definitely understand that 
Wow. Um, so do you uh do you set goals anymore or do you just like to let stuff happen organically? Um I have to set goals. If I don't, um things just sort of fall to the wayside and you get you get sleepy and things don't happen and people mm -hmm. disappear, opportunities disappear. Um things tend to fall into your lap as you plan. Uh mm -hmm. that's what I've noticed from from like over a decade of, of planning. Uh, so yeah, you really have to be self-motivated in this field. If you're not, then you need uh, management to, to run your life. Maybe a different job would be a mm -hmm. better situation for me. I'm very, I'm, I'm very self-motivated. Um, I just leave it at that. Okay. So, uh, for aspiring, uh, musicians and producers and instrumentalists, Anyone, yeah, actually creatives who want to go out there and make this a career for themselves, what would be like the top three things, pieces of advice that you would give to them? Well, building connections with uh, other established artists and producers is is very important. I would say it's not it's not necessarily a prerequisite, but it's very important, it's sort of part and parcel to to success. Uh, you know, never like if you see an unturned stone, turn it, you know, just look for all for opportunities, uh, because there are many unturned stones there are many opportunities that, that, uh, that, you know, with, with a good amount of effort, you can kind of discover, uh, mm -hmm. just new, new, amazing options, uh, for yourself as an artist. I'd say that there are many, uh, failures that I have faced as an artist and actually continue to face that people mm -hmm. don't necessarily notice. Uh, I mean, I fail all the time. I lose gigs. I lose, I lose clients. Uh, people go the other way. People like, I just had a cancellation this week, uh, just yesterday. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a client who was actually Israeli um, mm -hmm. and they were being, whatever they were, they were being, they wanted to book me. They're into my music, blah, blah, blah. And uh, because of the war, they had to go back and fight um, in mm -hmm. the army. So, you know, yeah, things happen. don't happen every day, but, Mm -hmm. it, so, uh, but, but failures happen all the time. Uh, I'll be rejected by uh, a playlist or a, um, or a curator or a blog or, or a magazine or a blog failures happens all the time. And that's a really part and parcel to, to growth. So mm -hmm. I would say that living with your, those failures and being comfortable with them and expecting them is mm -hmm. a prerequisite to, to achieving your dreams. So any, any anybody who's big and and who's achieved anything, uh, they have failed time and time again. So that use that use that mm -hmm. as a as fuel to uh, mm -hmm. to achieve your dreams. Um, you know, For learn sure. from your mistakes and from your errors and from your failures. No, definitely, I, I love that. I appreciate you know taking the time out your busy schedule to come and do the interview. Um, is there anything that you know I left on the table that I didn't get to talk about? That you well, want to talk about? Well, I'm sure there's all sorts of things we can talk about, but uh, we'll definitely come and cover the gamut. And uh, I appreciate your time. It's it's really uh, been really nice uh, sharing my story with you and and your listeners. Yeah, I appreciate it. So everybody, y'all make sure y'all go and y'all follow Asher. And I'll make sure I have all the social media stuff in the video for y'all. But thank you, Asher. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, I hope to connect with everybody on social media. <laughs>